0: Welcome to the Hopeful Activist podcast from the Praxis Centre for Hope and Activism. We are all about exploring our role in God's mission to bring hope and transformation. Hi and welcome to the Hopeful Activist podcast with me Abby Thomas and my wonderful guest today Sarah Small. Welcome to the podcast Sarah. Hi Abby, thank you for having me. So we're speaking from our respective homes. I'm in uh, Bradford in the city Bradford and tell me about where you are in Manchester.
1: I'm on a little estate in South Manchester called Merseybank just um just sort of nestled between the M60 uh, the River Mersey and the main trunk road into Manchester. So we're um yeah a little little place in the middle of some
0: suburbs. You're the head of the Eden Network in Manchester. Tell us a bit about Eden. Eden is a network of missionaries. We're part of the Message
1: Trust and we've been going for about 23 years um, sending and supporting teams of um, Christians who want to live long-term in some of our nation's toughest estates. So we've got about 30 teams, a couple of hundred people living all over Britain now. We started off in Manchester, but we've spread... And now we're in um, London and the Midlands and Glasgow, Cardiff, Yorkshire, Lincolnshire, all over the place, South Africa and Canada. Just trying to see communities transformed through practical um, love and also through declaring what it is to, to follow Jesus and to
0: share the gospel. Inspiration for this episode came from an unlikely source, Sarah. I was trolled on Twitter by a woman named Ginger after I'd posted a video interview that I did with a friend about Black Lives Matter. Ginger wrote social justice in action get back to the gospel of Jesus Christ so our question for today Sarah and it's nice and easy how do social action and evangelism fit with the gospel it feels like such a challenging topic to approach
1: yeah it really does and I think even trying to answer it and think it through for today I've I've wavered at times because Um, you know that there's a bunch of people out there going but the gospel the gospel the gospel preaching the gospel that's the most important thing and then you've got a bunch of other people going but communities and transformation and justice it's the most important thing and you know this kind of false dichotomy between the two of them creates two quite equal and opposing camps and yet what I believe to be the truth of the gospel the heart of the gospel the kind of kingdom message of Jesus is that we preach the gospel and we see people and communities and places transformed and it's like a holistic message but to even speak on it feels a bit like it's going to be hard to 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 keep both people engaged and both sides feeling sufficiently satisfied.
0: Yeah, that's very well expressed. I read the introduction to a book called When Helping Hurts yesterday and I think we'll we'll come back to that later. But one of the things that the author talks about is some people want a king without a king without the kingdom and some people want the kingdom without the king
1: yeah that's a re- that is a really great way of putting it actually that makes loads of sense i've been reading um c.s lewis and he he talks a lot as well about how you you need the whole picture if you only have part of the picture you only focus on part of it that's that's no gospel he puts it in quite humorous terms but
0: what, what are the humorous terms it, it basically says it's like a little boy's gospel or something <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's. He talks very. He's very male centric. The Christianity and water gospel that's all lovey dovey and takes no account of um, sin,
0: death, or pain, and it's just all about everything God being lovely and great. First, maybe we need to narrow down exactly what we think the gospel is, or is that where the problem begins? <laughs> I went to the New Wine Leaders Conference, which mainly attracts charismatic evangelical leaders, to see what they thought. What is the gospel?
2: Uh, <laughs> telling people about Jesus and why he died for us and uh, how we can have him as our personal Lord and Saviour. Oh, I don't know. I'd do say it? In a quick way. It's hard, isn't
0: it? Uh, the gospel it
3: literally means good news. Where is Jesus' good news to people? I'm involved in Pioneer Ministry and the first question I asked when I lived there was can I get to know some people to try and think how would God's love manifest in your life? What would be good news to you? There's no point in answering a question that nobody's asking.
4: The good news of Jesus is that there is a hope for the future uh, and life eternal with him. Uh,
2: Gospel is truth um, that can set from one through.
0: So for an individual or is it is it wider than that?
2: I, it's for everyone, but I think it's an individual thing that you step into.
0: So Sarah, the gospel, does that help you to narrow it down and put it in its little box? <laughs> I think it's funny, isn't it? Everyone's got a
1: different lens, a different way of framing it, a different... I guess because people have connected differently with it for themselves, that often is the first way that you you think about what the gospel is. Was it good news for you? Was it freedom for you? Did it make a difference to your whole family? Um, and it is, it's is—it's broad, isn't it? It's not just one little thing. It, all those different people said different things, focused on different areas, possibly depending
0: on their tradition or their personal story. Yeah, and I was fortunate enough to meet Krish gandhi and I think he sums it up in a way which I found really helpful.
5: So I think the gospel, uh, the good news of the kingdom is most perfectly demonstrated in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. So I'm trying to introduce people to Christ in all his fullness. Uh, and that means uh, everything, you know, so for, for a man like uh, Zacchaeus, the good news, salvation has come to his house because having received mercy from God, he's passing that mercy on to other people. Uh, for someone like the woman at the well, um, the good news is that there's living water that, that can well up in her to give her eternal life. For someone like Nicodemus, the good news is that that there's an opportunity for him to be born again into the, the new kingdom. So um, I think sometimes when we, we kind of push people, what is the gospel? We're after such a kind of bumper sticker, fridge magnet kind <laughs> of approach. We can reduce it below what Jesus would reduce it to. Um, so the short answer is it took, you know, the gospel writers, thousands of words to adequately express the gospel in Jesus. And I want to introduce people not just to the, the bare bones of the gospel, but the fullness of it as manifest in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus.
0: What do you think of that, Sarah? Oh, he's good, isn't he?
1: I love Christian, <laughs> the way that he thinks and speaks. And then, um, yeah, bringing it back to the way that Jesus saw what people needed, the way that he responded to them in their situation, I guess the way that he he understood people is um
0: yeah it's super helpful so what's your starting point for the conversation about where the gospel leads us is it to evangelism or to social action or where the more that i've
1: thought about it the more i think evangelism often is that invitation moment is kind of that opening the door a lot of what we do is about long term being rooted in community and and wanting to see people's whole lives and and experiences change but knowing that that's not going to happen necessarily overnight and and the more that you kind of go into a community the more you get to know people the more you realize that the injustices and the challenges and you think I can't not do anything about this you know the gospel talks about good news for the poor and release from the captives and all the structural injustices that people face as you kind of spend time and and rub up alongside them so for me it's it's about you take some steps and then some new stuff opens up and you engage there and then some new stuff opens up and you engage there and um always fueled i guess by hope, always fueled by the fact that that we believe that jesus has come to to set free people to save them to heal them to deliver them but but that's not just for one person, it's for whole families and whole communities and and nations and and the world i guess as the the greatest
0: um way of it, understanding that mm. So I went to speak to Deirdre Brower-Latz, who's principal of the Nazarene Theological College in Manchester. And that college has an amazing record of engaging with justice issues. And it's also a worshipping and teaching community. Deirdre has some reservations about evangelism. A sort of classic uh, evangelical view, I guess, of this, of the gospel and, and mission would be to focus on relationship with Jesus and bringing people into that
3: relationship where does that feature in your perspective that's a really good question because I really value relationship with Jesus so I don't want to undermine any of the sense that a relationship with Jesus as Lord changes and transforms lives people communities I think where it becomes part of the question of mission is what's your agenda in relationship with others and how is jesus revealed in that and what does it mean to journey with jesus so i guess the classic evangelical move is to say you have to assent in a particular way at a particular time do you mean like, like the sort of sinner's prayer yeah exactly moment. here's the roman road um believe or don't believe you know and there have been catchphrases in the manchester area and different organisations that say you know giving every young person a chance to say yes to jesus sort of a thing as the motive for what you're doing i don't land on that side of the fence to say actually this is transactional in any way i think our relationship with god and god's mission and justice and justice practice and conversion if you like is about covenant relationships so relationships that are in existence that love regardless of the response and so the transactional elements of mission i think are problematic for the church i think i give you food so that you convert so that i can write my statistics out as having grown a church is a really appalling quite dehumanizing approach and i think the church is catching up with that by and large
0: is that something that you've seen
3: yeah i have seen it and i've seen it globally not just in britain but i think the evangelical gnosticism that says your soul is the only thing that matters dematerializes disembodies people is a real problem for the church a lot of the time and i want to be fair to people and say i think a lot of very good-hearted people have a theological perspective that says if I don't tell this good news and create some form of assent this person is going to be damned it's like a widening of their theological perspective and so for me one of the reasons I'm so interested in good theology is to say actually theology drives a lot of this accidentally and so what does it really mean to be good news what does Jesus really do with people when he encounters them and they start to follow him it looks a lot like abiding remaining, coming and seeing meals connection presence, laughter, weeping burial healing, raising to life Like all of those things are the gospel picture of the Jesus that we know, which is good news which is not just say the right words and you're in it's much bigger than that So I think I'm packing all of that to say, actually, um, for evangelicals, if we still even want to use that word, to be good news has to be wider than what we've traditionally understood it to be. Sarah, do you share those
0: reservations that Deirdre has about evangelism? I mean, the way that the picture that she paints
1: uh, is obviously fairly bleak, isn't it? About, you know, trying to feed someone in order to... um, to get them to convert, that kind of very transactional thing that she talks about isn't doesn't sit right in terms of me or how I feel like we would want to approach things. Um, but I think that I think there's still something around the invitation. Like, do are we inviting people? Perhaps I wonder whether what we've we've done is we've divorced invitation and and that kind of saying yes to Jesus moment from following that up in life and then we've done all these kind of getting people over the line moments or um showing the gospel moments and and the assumption is that that'll all get followed up somewhere else but but really that's that's better followed up by the person giving the the invitation in the moment on a smaller scale Um, but then sometimes it does work out when people you know you hear all these people who come to faith at big gigs don't you and um and different things work for different people so in terms of the heart motivation, like I, nobody wants to be that person who's, who's providing a service or loving someone purely in order that they say
0: yes to an invitation without any thought of what happens next. So let's listen to someone from the other side of the spectrum. Simon Gilbo founded and is the international director of the Great Lakes Outreach in Burundi, where he lived from 1999 until his recent return to the UK. Each year, he sent out 700 evangelists and 170,000 people declared faith in Jesus during his time there. And I need to explain that he mentioned something in the interview called jiggers, which is an infestation of the skin by a burrowing insect. Oh, I've seen it. It's nasty. Mm. Let's hear from Simon then. What does the gospel mean to him?
6: First of all, I'd say that the gospel is good news. It's the best news in the world. You know, some people would split it up into uh, just saying it's uh, it's life after death, but we also believe in life before death. And I'd say that uh, the danger is uh, either overemphasizing one of those sides to the detriment of them both together, so it's great news that Jesus came. He breaks into our reality and the here and now. He brings meaning and purpose and healing and restoration, and that is massive. And he also uh, brings eternity into our lives, which starts now and lasts into eternity. And our job as people that uh, believe in him is to share that message uh, and, and not tone it down, which is my concern these days in general.
0: When you sent out those evangelists, what was their mission?
6: So their mission in that context was to go out into communities and unashamedly proclaim the good news of the risen Lord Jesus and to demonstrate that as well in terms of uh, cleaning jiggers out of people whose feet had you know, had these massive sores or to build them a house when the house had fallen down. It was very clear in terms of proclamation evangelism that there was demonstration with it and we we're always liable to be binary and compartmentalized, say either or, but to be true to, to, to Jesus it, it, it's doing both but doing good works can be a cop out uh, for not having the courage to share the root of the convictions and then, then to me it's an authenticity issue of do I believe this message enough to overcome my fear um, because the stakes are pretty high because we believe in life before death as I said and we believe in life after death so so what's the point ultimately? of people being well fed or lifted out of poverty or being able to read and write. If ultimately they're saying, no, I'm not interested in Jesus in, in your offer of eternal life. So they're just going to hell, better fed, um, better, uh, more literate, you know, but doing doing better. And so, I mean, that's that's quite full on, isn't it? And I think a lot of people struggle with what I've just said.
0: So the work of the Great Lakes outreach that Simon Directs is much broader than sending out evangelists. They do have a very holistic approach, developing sustainable social enterprises, for example. But it's clear from what Simon says, Sarah, that his priority is people's eternal destiny.
1: Yeah, and um, I think what he said at the beginning about you know life before death and life after death is really important. We, when we were in Kenya, we used to see all these evangelists coming into the town every weekend and they'd have these big meetings everyone would come around and listen because they had a big sound system and every weekend we'd see people becoming Christians again you know they'd put their hand up they'd make a response and then when the show rolled on everything went back to normal and that's you know that was sad for us to see as people who were sticking around that that was it was just a bit of entertainment it didn't go any deeper than that and I think that's that's the life before death bit, isn't it? It needs to go deeper than just a, a moment of, of emotion or a moment of saying yes to something with no real understanding or concept of the fact that that transforms then everyday life
0: from that point onwards for you and for everything around you. And uh, we're going to touch a little bit more on the theology of eternity a bit later on but it does feel like a good time to have a look at the history of evangelism and social action so we're going to take a sweeping look at the last 200 years or so with a focus for now on the uk i spoke to joel edwards formerly of the evangelical alliance and micah challenge international over the internet
4: one of the very striking features of um evangelism and you know evangelical actions and movements and churches in the 19th century the 1800s was a very significant level of social engagement responding to child poverty involvement in the abolition of of slavery and the slave trade uh, engagement in factory form in prison, so that um, for example, uh, organizations like the probation service today came out of church missionaries, and a lot of that impetus came from Christian Activism in the 19th century. So, your Wilberforces, certainly in the UK context, your Wilberforces, your Spurgeon's, the great prince of preachers, also engaged in uh, this kind of social action, was very much the fabric of 19th century evangelism and evangelical action. That got lost somewhere in the 1930s when a thing described as the social gospel emerged. And and this meant that people began to promote the idea that actually the gospel is about engagement in social and political action. And this came about at the expense of a kind of a distinction or the distinctive nature of personal salvation and the literal reception of the Bible and its message as being from God and so on. So the social gospel kind of came along in in the 1930s, post-war years, eroded evangelical trust and put a wedge between evangelism, this idea that we should tell people about Jesus as savior and social engagement. And so because of this fear, almost paranoia of the social gospel, a lot of evangelism um, both within Protestant and Catholic circles separated itself away from social action and so you know by the time some of us were involved in ministries like the Evangelical Alliance in the 70s and 80s and 90s um, we had to do a lot of work both here across Europe and in the States to reassure evangelicals and reassure those who were committed to evangelism that there wasn't really any rupture between the gospel good news about Jesus and its social implications for the poor the good news to the poor which Jesus preached about in the gospel of Luke.
0: So I think this is where this comment on Twitter from Ginger came about that we talked about at the beginning the social gospel is maybe a bigger fear in America than here, which to me seems so sad because surely one of the best examples of someone who combines passion for seeing people come to Jesus and seeing equality and justice in in now in life is American, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I spoke to Richard Reddy, who's written a book about Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy. And you can hear more from him in our last episode. There's An interesting contrast between the life of Billy Graham and of Martin Luther King Jr., who were ministering at the same time in the 50s and 60s in America. Billy Graham's focus was evangelism, Christians sharing their faith with as many people as possible, and he believed in staying out of politics. Martin Luther King Jr. certainly didn't stay out of politics, but would he have described himself as an evangelist?
7: The interesting thing about Martin Luther King is if you were to ask him what he was, he would say he was first and foremost a pastor. You know, he felt called by God to preach the gospel. But he also recognized that, you know, he'd been given a unique set of giftings, which enabled him to speak what he would call truth to power with regard to, you know, the civil rights movement. The gospel was about justice, you know, what some would call social justice. He would say that, both, uh you know, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament are replete with references to justice. And if we were to be faithful to the good news of Jesus Christ, then that meant standing up for the rights of the last, the least and the left behind in society.
0: I believe that um, Billy Graham did express regret after the assassination of Dr. King that he hadn't stood with him. More clearly for civil rights. Yeah,
7: and and he he wasn't the only one.
0: Did Martin Luther King speak about personal salvation?
7: Uh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. King was first and far more a a man of God, and he, it was about sort of ensuring that you were right with God. Mm. But you know, for him also, justice wasn't just about your relationship with God, but also your relationship with your na- neighbor. You know, within the African-American tradition, and this goes back to the days of African enslavement and the birth of of the church, issues to do with freedom, justice had always been there. You know, what King did was to sort of build on that particular tradition.
0: So at the same time Martin Luther King Jr. was leading the civil rights movement in American North America, the liberation theology movement was beginning in Catholicism, particularly in South America. And liberation theology advocates preferential treatment for people in poverty and political liberation for the oppressed. Oscar Romero was a famous Catholic priest who inspired many people to investigate liberation theology, although he himself apparently didn't support it. He simply saw that the preferential treatment of people in poverty was fundamental to Catholic teaching. Romero once said, A church that doesn't provoke any crises, a gospel that doesn't unsettle, a word of God that doesn't get under anyone's skin, a word of God that doesn't touch the real sin of the society in which it's being proclaimed, what gospel is that? And meanwhile, Joel Edwards will explain how in the worldwide evangelical church, the idea of integral mission took shape.
4: This whole idea, Abby, grew out of um, some thinking, principally in the Latin American context, in the early to mid-70s, which suggested that uh, the mission of God drew together both the idea of proclamation, declaring the truths about Jesus Christ, his cross, his resurrection, Um, and his, you know, bringing salvation, personal salvation to individuals, to marry that with social action and political engagement. And so integral missions, in a a sense, was a Latin American version of the kind of what people used to call holistic mission, which didn't want to divide sacred and secular, but to bring together um, uh, uh, preaching and prophetic action in one place. And this was very influential. Um, particularly in the mid-70s in a conference called the Lausanne Conference in 1975 when perhaps for the first time evangelicals came together from around the world to try and recover a sense of social consciousness which had been lost and so Integral Missions has been a kind of an evangelical implant since the early 70s and still quite vibrant in Latin America still the language is still re- well used By some Christian organizations, Fund, I think, would be a principal example.
0: Most recently, we have theologians like N.T. Wright reminding us that the gospel is about restoration and renewal of all things, that we look forward to the renewed creation of Revelation 21 rather than going to heaven when we die. He's written, for example, that Jesus's resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come on earth as in heaven, is all about. So, Sarah, do you feel the balance is right now between a focus on life on earth and on eternity? Or maybe I'm making a false distinction there if we go with NT, right, that this is a continuity? If we look at it as a continuity,
1: that's, that's probably more helpful because you don't want to say to somebody... It's going to be all right in the end or you know that whole pie in the sky when you die thing it is about heaven breaking in it's about god acting in the now i think one of the big tensions for us as activists is that now and not yet version of um understanding the kingdom it is now we are seeing heaven breaking we are seeing people transformed and yet there's a whole heap of stuff that that isn't yet and that will be realized and there is an eternal promise which we can hang a lot of hope on when now is is pretty tricky
0: So we're going to turn now to look at what it looks like on the grounds to wrestle with the idea of personal salvation and works for justice. Has your approach changed on Eden over the years?
1: Yeah, it definitely has. And I think it probably probably changes in a sort of seasonal way, really. Um, When we first began as a network, it was really very much in response to young people hearing the gospel young people having heard that message having had that invitation um you know having prayed the prayer in a in a gig or in a school lesson or whatever it is uh, whichever way they heard it and um and then they were given you know a, an invitation to a local youth group or a local church and that often didn't result in um in them following that invitation up and and there's a real frustration you know, how can we help these young people actually be disciples, not just converts, not just dis- you know making a decision in the heat of the moment? And so we, we planted our First Eden team in Bench Hill in Withenshaw and sent in a bunch of youth workers and amazing individuals to live there long term and to get alongside these young people and to disciple them and mentor them and support them and help them out and and show them what it meant to to live like Jesus lived as well as tell them, what it meant to live like Jesus lived. Tell them what he could do for them, um, and then we've had you know hundreds of people move on to Eden Estates, and the the very act of moving is a big deal. It's huge to to relocate your life and move somewhere new, um, and sometimes we can get really settled, become normalized in that, and I think it's important for us to maintain the fact that we're there not just to. You know, demonstrate the fact that Jesus is good, not for him to kind of leak out of us by osmosis, but to continually find ways to communicate him and his goodness, whether that is verbally through telling people, or whether that is practically through serving people, but maintaining that kind of missional focus and missional intent when life gets busy or we've had a few goes and it's been hard or we've been disappointed. I think one of the big challenges for us as long term missionaries is to continue to find new and creative and innovative ways to see God's kingdom come in communities. And And one of the blessings, I think, of being somewhere long term is that you do go through seasons. You do go through um, tough times with people and great times with people. And tough times and great times bring different opportunities for for seeing God working and seeing his kingdom come. So it is um, a bit proactive at times. You know, we've got to kind of make some decisions and plan some stuff and, and, and have a go. But also it's a bit reactive at times. This has happened. How can we help people in this season how can we offer hope you know coronavirus being one of the the main examples of how do we react to this in our communities how do we help people um have hope have resilience stay sane in this crazy season that we're in at the moment
0: well that seems like a really good point to hear from amy and ben woodfield who used to run an eden team in manchester i think you know them sarah i do they're a fantastic couple They've now planted a church on an estate in Bolton called Oldham's Church. And I know lots of the people in their church. And for me, it's a beautiful example of how church should be. It's complicated, it's beautiful and it's transformative.
2: So for me, mission is about the Great Commission. And so going into a place, making disciples, baptising them and teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded. So that's about creating a community that is... Um, learning what it means to follow Jesus in that place and, and therefore what that means in someone's life when they choose to follow Jesus.
0: Do you see community transformation as part of what you're about?
2: Yeah we do but I think for us it starts with becoming a disciple of Christ and then to see what happens when someone's life is centered around that
8: as a result of people coming into a relationship with jesus and being discipled in the way that jesus wants well all of us as a church community to live naturally they've become more outward looking serving others within the community one thing that we do is something called celebrate recovery jenny has been interviewed on the podcast before
0: she's very excellent
8: And she's talked about her life from becoming alcoholic and then Jesus completely changing her life. But her and two other members of our church who were in addiction in various ways before, they now run our recovery program alongside Ben. And Celebrate Recovery is a 12-step Christian recovery program. So it's based on the Bible different members of community have accessed that because there is a lot of addiction within our community and people don't see a way out but because they see local people whose lives have been completely changed by Jesus they want to access it and they feel like they're going to be welcomed and loved because it's people that they've known for years
2: in celebrate recovery the primary thing we're interested Mm -hmm. in is people finding recovery so we say to people we're a faith group but if you've got no faith then you're very welcome here what we're interested in is you finding wholeness and recovery from your addiction whatever that might be Mm
0: -hmm. and i think sometimes people who are passionate about social transformation or justice issues can feel anxious about bringing jesus and people being transformed by jesus into the equation Mm -hmm. because they don't want people to feel under any pressure Mm. what would you say to that I would
8: say those that are Christians those that are on Oldham's estate we live Jesus so for example a few weeks ago a local litter pit was organized by the local residents Association and we're part of that community so people from our church went along to it there wasn't a kind of a pressure oh we need to be telling them about Jesus because they are living examples of Jesus because their heart is to just live out who Jesus is in the way that they act and you know speak to others and demonstrate his love.
2: We can do that because we know there's other places in our church life where people can come and hear about Jesus and so for us we've made discipleship a really important thing and there's different places at which people can learn how to follow Jesus and because I think we've got that then actually there's other moments where we can just chill in a lots of ways.
0: So final question you've got a young person in your church and they want to do mission how would you frame what is mission to them Mm
2: -hmm. so we've got a 12 year old girl and you know she's she's a Christian and she's learning what it means to follow Jesus and I think the way we're teaching what mission is is all the stuff we've already said but there is for us there is a particular bias in the God we serve towards you know the last and the least and the lost. So we'd be wanting to say, how are you gonna express that in the way you live your life? Um there's there's a phrase that I just heard this week that Jesus just finds places where that's happening irresistible. He, he, where Whether it's our church, little church family that meets on a Sunday that's fragile, that's messy, that's chaotic, he finds it irresistible. And so we're trying to teach Neve what that means in her life
0: what what is it that brings the transformation
2: god by his holy spirit through jesus christ (laughs) um and when christians take seriously that great commission and partner with him as the bible talks about
8: and i know for me the times that i've doubted my faith and thought is this all really real i look around at my church family and see how Jesus has radically, radically transformed people's lives, and I can't doubt that he's real and he's there.
0: So what do you think about that approach, Sarah? Oh, it's so good.
1: They're so um so authentic, those guys. And I think everything they've just said makes total sense. Like when you when you read the Gospels, when you when you see who Jesus made a beeline for, who he made a special effort to reach. It is always those people on the margins. So for me, that really resonates and, and I just, I love it. I love what they're doing up in Bolton.
0: But evangelism and telling people about Jesus, asking them to choose a personal relationship with him, when the people who are offering that relationship, especially as we're talking about people moving into an area, often people who have more privilege than the people that they're going to be living among, it's it's fraught with difficulty, isn't it?
1: yeah it really it really can be and I think there's always wisdom involved and you know we're not in the business of manipulation we're not in the business of control we're in the business of of grace we're in the business of compassion and I think and we have to check our attitudes a lot of our new team leaders and team members I spend time chatting with them and just saying you know you are not the saviour god is working in this place with or without you and it's up to you to to join in with what he's doing but that takes a lot of listening and looking and learning before you jump in with both feet and your big mouth because i think a lot of people when they're kind of released into mission are like i'm here now uh, everything can change and god's going to do some stuff with me and then um, we do need to really humble ourselves i think as as people who are missional in communities that are vulnerable because if we go with that attitude, that heart attitude and that kind of outward attitude as well, then then that's gonna bring
0: fairly swift rejection. Krish gave me some examples of when evangelism is inappropriate. For example, he said it in a refugee camp when people are at their most vulnerable. Uh, would you agree and can you think of any places you would say are, are not appropriate to, to call people into that personal relationship?
1: I think if you're talking about crisis, you know, when, when there's a, the situation of crisis, maybe a refugee camp, maybe kind of, um, you know, when you're doing relief work, that kind of thing, when you're there to meet a need, and that's kind of the very, uh, fundamental pressing need, then to kind of try and subvert that into some kind of, um, evangelistic opportunity can be seen as quite crass and can be seen as, um, as, you know, manipulative. If you're there in compassion, um, if you're there to serve and you're there in humility then I think often what you do will be as much a witness as what you say um yeah I think there's there's wisdom there it's not about it's not about taking vulnerable people and making them make choices they wouldn't make ordinarily because they've got nothing else or or withholding something from somebody you know that's the worst kind of of picture of of Christians isn't it if we if we're offering only um a food with a decision or anything like that we never want to be those people
0: there's a an amazing book by Steve Corbett and Brian Fickett called when helping hurts yes I love it what lessons do Christians need to learn about the way we engage with injustice and, and poverty it's um so the book's written
1: for the kind of short-term mission movement really to kind of throw a bit of light on why people would go on short-term missions and what they would seek to get out of them and it, it talks a lot about what is the correct response to the to the need that is going on and um it really highlights it that that um the inequality that there is often in a situation when somebody from a privileged background or a or a western background or a rich background finds themselves in a, a cross-cultural situation in a in a less privileged background or a, in a developing country or whatever it might be, and um, and 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 it says there's risk to both individuals when people come together without understanding each other fully. There's a risk to the kind of wealthy, developed, um, affluent, privileged person in thinking that they have got all the answers and they are the saviour, and there's also a risk to the person who is struggling that that somebody else is going to do to them or do for them something that they should be ordinarily able to do themselves if given a bit of help or some equipment or an opportunity to do so. And then um, I just, I, I find that teaching and that whole book such a challenge because it, we're so quick-minded and quick-win-minded. We want stuff sorted and fixed yesterday. Um, and often that's about me doing it and me uh, and me kind of fixing all the problems for people. But that doesn't ultimately lead people into being able to be self-sufficient, Um, to be developing Uh, they talk in the book about three different stages the the stage of relief which is needed when people are in crisis the stage of rehabilitation of getting back to where we were and then the stage of development of moving on and I think often those those three different stages require three different responses Um, and it's knowing what stage people are at and what is the most appropriate response and then yeah I just I heard something really interesting just before in a talk about how leaders often need to underlead in order to give people opportunities to step up. It's not something that's really popular. I don't think in in leadership speak or leadership culture underlead or do less. We're all about doing more and being the best we can be, but I think that's not always helpful if you're trying to bring people along with you and train them up and I think social action and and the kind of development of that into social justice. Is about becoming closer with people who are different. It's about becoming more aware of the God that that brings you together and that has a heart for community and that um, seeks for us to love Him first and to love our neighbor as ourselves and um, and have everything flow out of that relationship. When our heart, I think when our heart's in a good place with Him and um, when we are operating with compassion, with humility, and conviction, then those three things will will mark out what we do in community and will motivate us when even the days it
0: feels tricky and a bit of a slog. Sarah, thank you so much for your wisdom. I'm really looking forward to hearing people's thoughts on this episode. I hope that it prompts some good discussion. If you've enjoyed our conversation today, I'm sure you'll enjoy our other episodes with people from a huge variety of contexts with fascinating and challenging views. You can subscribe on your podcast feed and do drop us a review. It really does make a difference to how many people get to hear. I think a good place to end this episode is with this quote from Chris Lane, who planted and leads a church in inner city Salford.
2: And it comes back to the heart of the gospel. If Jesus is Lord, that means that the sick can be healed when when we pray. If Jesus is Lord, that means that we are wanting to see this estate change for the better. That includes uh, levels of poverty, it includes um, health, it includes stuff at every single level. If Jesus is Lord, then things, need to start to improve in people's lives and 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 if he's making everything new then what what we're doing is anticipating what is going to happen in the future and looking back to what the resurrection of Jesus and praying for those things to come into our present day.